All right. Well, so good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kelly S. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today is Thursday, March 15th. Today we're reading from the big book and we are on page 37. We are in the fourth paragraph starting with our behavior is as absurd. We're going to read through three paragraphs ending with, but isn't it true? Comments will be on all paragraphs. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Tens and P, 12 Traditions, Kathy R. The readers of the text will be Lynn F., Barbara E., and Carmela G. Our reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, March 14th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time, 11161, 11161. 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 11162, 11162. OA Preamble, the Overeaters Anonymous Fellowship of Individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, quote, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, end quote. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Tenzin. Good morning, everyone. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
can continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tenzin P. I will now ask Kathy R. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kathy R. I'm from the Tampa, Florida area. These are the 12 traditions that keep us and our program sane. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our per- group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And finally, number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you for letting me do service. Thank you so much, Kathy R. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, page 37, fourth paragraph. Our behavior is as absurd. We read through three paragraphs, ending with, but isn't it true? Comments on all paragraphs. And I will now ask Lynn F. to begin reading. Hey, Lynn. Good morning, and good morning, everyone. This is Lynn F. recovered in Pennsylvania. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. It is up, it, up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he is hit again, and in this time, has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. On through the years, his conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. <clears throat> Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce, and he is held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However, intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? Thank you, everyone. Um, this is one of my favorite passages in the big book. And I recall reading this in shock and horror the first time I read it many years ago. And then, you know, plugging in the gap with um, my own story and thinking back to my story of compulsive overeating and how it grew and how it grew and how it grew and being told, you know, as a young child that I was overweight and the children would make fun of me, to being told as a teenager that my triglycerides were high and that I needed to lose weight because our family had um, heart disease in its history. And and then going through, you know, taking it on myself and the diets and the cycle of dieting and the cycle of eating and the cycle of dieting and the health problems that ensued and nothing could get in there and fix what was broken. I didn't know what was broken, but there was no hope for me um, out in the world, in the diet world. The diet world didn't work for me. The magazine stories didn't work for me. The pay-as-you-go programs, none of it worked. There was temporary relief, but there was never recovery. And it wasn't until this book was opened up for me with a recovered sponsor and that I was able to identify with um, the alcoholic behavior where um, my recovery seed began and was planted and began. And um, 
So thankfully, God, I did not have the health problems of the jaywalker, but I had other health problems that um, were managed and have been, um, that are addressed and that today I can live happy, joyous, and free um, at a normal weight, which thank you, God, was something I'd never, ever imagined. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Lynn. Okay, so who would like to share on the paragraphs that just were read? Julie R. G. from Boston. Barbara. Rita K. Kenton T. Vasa O. Okay, we'll stop right there. Here's who I have so far. Julie R, Katie G, Barbara E, Kim G, Vasa O, Kinzen P, and Harlan G. So we'll stop there and we'll get more in a little bit. So if you guys all can please remute your phone, pressing star one. So we have a quiet meeting. And we will start with Julie R, followed by Katie G. Hey, Julie. Hi. Thank you, Kelly. This is Julie R, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. You know, this Jaywalker story when um, – for many, many years, I would just kind of fast forward that because I could not connect the dots. It just seemed like a very odd story, and I could never wrap my head around it until, of course, when I really got into the big book the way it was meant to be, and I could see those those parallel lines. You know, when I would when I was younger and the disease hadn't um, you know taken over my body, soul, and mind. I would be able to go after a night of dancing and drinking or whatever, go eat at a fast food place and then, you know, get right back on track, so to speak. My my, my white knuckle, my self-will could take care of that. But then it couldn't. That's when I got, you know, um, 300 pounds and I couldn't fit in Disneyland rides with my son. I couldn't fit comfortably in the seat on the airplane. I'd spill over. I couldn't... Um, sit in regular chairs. I've also had like over 20-something knee surgeries, but yet the pain that I caused myself from being obese is like the jaywalker. I mean, I would go and swear it off, and then I would do it again. And I'm a, I can eat anything in volume, thousands and thousands of calories at a time. And then I would do it again, knowing full well. Oops, somebody just sneezed. Knowing full well that um, I am going to do it again and again. It's that insanity, and it talks about that, strangely insane, but yet this big book promises me that I'm going to be restored to sanity. And, you know, and that's exactly what happened. I went from a jaywalker time after time getting hit and smacked down by the food, by my life being unmanageable, to somebody who's in a right-sized body, and the obsession has been lifted. It's just, yeah, I am the jaywalker, and it was something I never could relate to. And it amazes me that I was so, so into this hell, and I have such freedom now, only because of this book. And my God, actually, pass. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Next up is Katie G., followed by Barbara E., Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, my vision friends and family. This is Katie G, a recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic in Boston. 
Yeah, so I can no longer work, get a divorce, held up to ridicule. It doesn't matter. The consequences don't matter. Like, it, it, I, I, need, I needed to starve, to binge, to purge, because that was my solution to such an extreme that you could take away my whole life and I wouldn't care. I couldn't care. Why? Because I needed to exist. I needed that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking that first bite, by starving, by puking, by anorexia, by bulimia. And it doesn't matter how smart I am, like me too, like all the rest of you. I went to college, you know, but in college I convinced them, yeah, I have an eating disorder and I'm going crazy, but like, go away. Like, I need you to go away so I can function on my own, right? And I couldn't see the insanity of putting on 100 pounds in a college year of, of not being able to wear the clothes, any of the clothes that I started off the year with because I had put on so much um, weight and shutting myself up. Like I went to the hospital. I went to, you know, all these, um, these places. And guess what I found at these yoga retreats? The vending machine. It was so easy. I just went downstairs and, and binged on the vending machine, you know, because wherever I go, there I am. And another thing is that when I got abstinent and I was clinging to my abstinence no matter what, I had queer ideas of fun. I had, I still couldn't manage my life. And, and as a recovered woman today, I can't manage my life. I have a new manager and I'm not in management, right? But the emotional chaos of my life as a woman in abstinence only is very similar to the jaywalker. I got the same job with the same job title five times. I was fired from the same job five times because I thought this is what I need to be okay. This is what I have to do. I tried to get that job idea out of my head. Same with relationships, the insanity of me trying to live my life, managing my life. I'm out playing in traffic again. And the crazy thing is, I can get fired from a job five times. I can get hit by a car five times and still go back in the ring. I mean, that's the way it is. That's the way it was. Thank you, God, for me with food. Like, oh, no, I don't care what your consequences. I'm getting back in the ring. But here's the truth. I'll close with this. When I get back in the ring, I'm going to lose each and every time. And praise God, I don't get in the ring today. I don't try and manage it. I have entire abstinence. And thank you, God, because of the result of continuing to work my booty off every day on these steps, I have one more day of, um, of sanity. And I'm going to keep showing up, God willing, one more day with all of you. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie G. Next up, Barbara E., followed by Kim G. Hey, Barbara. Good morning, everyone. I hope I can be heard. I know, I know several days ago, I claimed to have been abstinent from binging for 20 decades, which would make me like Mel Brooks, the 2,000-year-old woman. But to be clear, I have indeed been abstinent for two decades, weighing and measuring my food because that's what I choose to do, and constantly working on identifying my negative food behaviors and working constantly towards removing my character liabilities on a daily basis. But that's now. Back then, I was just like that Jay Walker and the men who preceded him in this book. Once I got a particular food item in my head, I would become fixated on it. 
Even if I was not in the vicinity, I could smell it. I could taste it. It was all I could think about. I was obsessed with how good I'd feel when I got it. Perhaps I could get it away with it today and not get seriously harmed. The thought was thrilling. I was strangely insane, a state of mind that prevents normal perception. I tried the Jay Walker solution by going to what was then called a charm school and a, a milk farm. But when I got back out in the real world, I began to do the same compulsive eating that I'd done before. And the consequences of my behavior were getting progressively worse, leaving my babies to sleep in their cribs to drive to get a particular food item I'd been fixated on, eating food out of the garbage or off the floor, eating burned food, wrapping washcloths around my raw thighs, going from program to program, hoping this one would fix me, losing hundreds of pounds over and over again and regaining it within six months. I am Odysseus, and pasta and chocolate candy and fries and ice cream were my sirens calling me to self-destruct. But that was then. For me, the tools, the steps, especially steps 10 and 12 and you, my fellows, and above all, my higher power that I didn't believe in, keeps me abstinent, humble, grateful, and forever working towards becoming the person my higher power wants me to be. It's a journey I hope to be taking the rest of my life. I will never graduate. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Next up, we have Kim G, followed by Vasa O. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. But the day he comes out, he races in front of the fire engine, which breaks his back. You know, this story to me is about the fact that I have the inability to link the consequences with my behavior. You know, I, I always hear it on the line, too. It says, you know, I, I can't see what the food does for me. I can only see what the food, no, I, can, I can't see what the food does to me. I can only see what the food does for me. And I think that's in, in any 12-step program. We, we define our, our uh, degree of um, what we suffer from by the consequences. Like if I'm 100 pounds overweight, I'm worse than someone that's 50 pounds overweight or whatever. I have to tell you, for me personally, I've been obese, I've been bulimic, and I've been underweight. I am a compulsive overeater at every end of the scale. But if this Jay Walker example was enough for me to stop eating, then many of the, the uh, sayings I've heard in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous for decades would work for me. I wouldn't need to do the steps. I would, if a moderate eater or a heavy eater, can, they can do that. They can link the consequences. So when I heard in the room, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt, then avoiding those things, I wouldn't need to eat. If I could simply avoid my triggers or people, places, and things, that means I have the logic to, to um, link the consequences of my behavior. If I could truly play the trade through, or if I could remember my last drunk, then I don't need the steps. You know, we often hear I can't eat on the truth. That's not my, that's not my truth, at least. I'm told in the doctor's opinion, I cannot differentiate the truth from the false, so how can I trust what the truth is? You know, I often hear that we're in denial. The big book never uses that word. Denial to me means that I know what the truth is and I'm choosing not to believe it. 
What is this chapter telling me? And what is my book telling me? It's telling me I suffer from illusions, delusions, and insanity. I consider myself like the, like a like a I'm schizophrenic. A schizophrenic hears the voices. They're real in his head. This stuff is real in my head. I don't have the ability of my own power, or even with the power of Overeaters Anonymous, to have those voices stop. I need a power greater than myself, which is exactly why I need to do these steps. You know, I think of other things. You know, nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. Abstinence makes you feel better. If that was really true, then why do I eat? I'll tell you why I eat, because abstinence sucks. Yes, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel anger better. It makes me feel depression better. It makes me feel anxiety better. You want me to be abstinent every single day, in the morning, the evening, and the night? That is a living hell. And when that is my reality, to heck with the consequences. I need that first bite more than any of the connections that I have of what the consequences could possibly be. And that, to me, is the story of the jaywalker. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim G. Next up, we have Vasa O, followed by Tenzin P. Good morning, Vasa. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful believer and in the, in the OA program and uh, recovered. And I'm just so grateful to be here this morning with all of you. And I remember reading the Jay Walker, even when I was abstinent, and I remember saying in the, you know, I'm saying, this man, he's going to be crazy. He's crazy. I, can't, I cannot identify. How could he run on, on the street and get run over and get hurt? And that was the physical part, you know. But that's okay. I didn't understand. But then later on, I could identify. I said, oh, my God, I'm doing the same thing. This man had a compulsion with, the, you know, running and getting high and getting, you know, getting high from it. And I was doing the same thing, you know, with the food. And I was digging my own grave with a a knife and a fork gradually and dying, you know, in every area, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I just thank God that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous. I was doing, I must have lost and gained hundreds and hundreds of pounds over many years I had been in the food. But there was no hope. I, I, I said, this is it. You know, everything I've tried before, it just did not work. Or maybe it would work for a little bit, but I could not keep the food down. And I was really terrified, you know. Of the, I, I was really terrified. I said, I'm just going to just die, you know. And I was not even trying to diet any longer because whatever I did did not work. And uh, I was led into Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, I found what the problem was. I know there was a problem. I just didn't know how to fix the problem. Finally, I heard, you know, I learned in the doctor's opinion, I had the allergy, the mental obsession, the compulsion. I could relate with the alcoholic. I still could not really um, identify because I was not a drinker, you know, but it's the allergy, you know, it's the, the physical allergy I could connect. And uh, putting the food for me was by the grace of God and then throw myself into the program, working the 12 steps. I remember saying, you know, I did my three steps, one, two, and three, 
I, you know, I did the food, put the food down. It was not easy, but I did, and I lost the weight within six months, and I was going to leave, but I thank God that I stayed and listened. Oh, it's my time. And I stayed, and I'm so grateful. I'm still in it, and I'm not planning on leaving. I thank you. I don't want to take any time, any longer time, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Next up is Tenzin P, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Tenzin. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, very, very wonderful to hear everyone share today and to be reading these paragraphs. Uh, the, the clause, behavior as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, shape or jaywalking. Well, I'm struck this time around through the big book by um, how poignant that metaphor is. And I'm relating to this rebellious motivation against the rules, you know, on top of the compulsion, the the physical and mental compulsion. I'm just noticing underneath this quiet, um, quiet to myself most of the time, this rebellious motivation against the rules. So there was a danger that would get the adrenaline going. And so it's very strange, but I was thinking about um, a time uh, quite a number of years ago when I was living in a a situation with other women. Um, It was um, a women's residence, and there was a community refrigerator, and I would steal someone in particular's frozen yogurt who she was she had a kind of personality where she was a street fighter and she would threaten all the time to beat people up. And I in thinking back on this I noticed there was, you know, some amount of excitement besides the food that I was getting away with. So I'm so grateful for my recovery today and, you know, a little bit embarrassed to share this piece because there's so many aspects of what I did with food that was so against my morals, you know, and, and so uh, hurtful to other people as, as well as myself. So with that, I'm very grateful to you all and to the big book and to my recovery. Thank you. Thank you, Tenzin. Next up is Harlan G. Hey, Harlan. Thanks. Hey, Kelly, thank you for your service, Kelly, and thank you also to Team Thursday for making this great meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Don't stop me if you've heard this before, but what I'm going to say has been said. I am absolutely insane. I would swear oaths in front of people that I was now going to lose weight. I was now going to be good instead of bad. I get it. This is not the way to live. I'm going to lose weight. And before you could say two and two was four, I'd be eating a chocolate sundae or five Kit Kat bars. Why? Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody do death-defying things over and over and over and over again? Why would we waste decades of our life? Why would we cry the rivers of tears that we've cried? Why would we go to such extremes to try to break the cycle 
of this illness with money and willpower that don't work because food does something for me, not to me, for me, that nothing else except a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps can do. A Kit Kat bar for about nine seconds can make the world go away. It can make me thin. It can make me rich. It can make me James Bond. It can make me Michael Jordan. For about nine seconds, I am in an almost psychotic, delusional state where nothing is real, and I'm feeling what Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. And I'm going to chase that effect, that sense of ease and comfort. I'm going to chase it to the gates of insanity or death. I'm going to run in front of buses? No. I'm going to eat Oreo cookies when I'm 335 pounds as a senior in high school. I'm going to eat Lockwood Castle Sundays on Devon Avenue in Chicago when I'm 500 pounds as a sophomore in college. I'm going to do things to myself that if I did them to you, I'd be in prison. I'm going to put myself through pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization in, ch in search of this effect. The only thing that is going to break this cycle is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, not the fellowship, which is great, not the tools, which are great. The steps is the only answer I have, or I am going to live this way, the way that we've just described in the jaywalker, I'm going to live that way until death takes me over and the food can no longer hurt me. The only thing that breaks this hold is God, the steps, a spiritual I'm awakening. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Harlan. Okay, so just a reminder. Let's see, where are we? <laughs> We are on page 37, fourth paragraph. Our behavior is as absurd, reading through three paragraphs, ending with, but isn't it true? So who else would like to share? Mary B. Reva P. Ro Roanne M. Reva K. H. Amy G. Pamela R. B. Leah M. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. I have Leah D. Reva P, Rowan M, Amy G, Kamala R, I think, and Leah M. So we'll stop there. If everybody can please remute your phone, press star one, and we'll start with Leah D, followed by Reva P. Hey, Leah. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much. How lucky I am that this is the fourth time I heard this in two days. So here's how I feel. I feel that like I now can stop at red lights. What a gift. I can walk to the corner, I can stop, I can wait for the light to change, and then I can cross. <sighs> that image is, comes from God. I said last night in a meeting when I read this that I am that jaywalker. I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't stop myself. And the truth is that God does for me what I could never do for myself. I don't even know how I got where I am today, only through God. 
when I read about the jaywalker stepping in front, getting hit, I went to the doctor. They told me the sugar was nine. They told me I was going to die. They told me everything. I made 40 million resolutions every day of my life, not understanding that it wasn't my fault and I couldn't do this. I just need to hear me say that God does for me that what I can't do for myself. And I really like the image of being able to stop on the corner, wait for the light to change, and let it blink. That halt, that pause, that big book, and all of you have given me my life today. And with that, I just say thank you so much. I'll pass. Thank you, Leah. Next up is Reva P., followed by Roanne M. Good morning, Reva. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I love the story of the jaywalker because I knew when it came to the food that the insanity was that regardless of the consequences, I was going to pick up again. I was just powerless over that. I didn't have power over that. But what this whole chapter for me is about is the powerlessness when I'm not binging. The powerlessness in the fact that my thinking and my mind will always bring me back to the thing that's killing me, always, unless I have a power that's greater than myself. And this whole obsession of the mind, the ism underneath that tip of the iceberg, which was the food, Um, And I love the words he's using here with this jaywalker. What's he doing? He decided. He promises. He tries. He shuts himself up. He hopes. And that's what I can do with my fears and my angers and the anxieties and all the stuff that I start becoming aware of and that I feel when the food is down thinking that I can control this. Hey, I know I'm scared. I'm just going to not be scared. Hey, I know I'm angry. I'm just going to like pray it away. And I need to do all those steps in the middle of step, uh, you know, two where I know that I need a power to the rest all the way to the end. Um, Because I can't make those things go away. Even when I've learned and I've started Um, you know, being educated in this program, I need a power greater than myself to change my mind, to change my thinking. And when my thinking changes and the noise in my head gets quiet, then I can differentiate true from false and recoil as if from a hot flame. Um, So this is such a great reminder that I don't will myself out of my thinking. Um, and I just do the step work, and I don't know how it works, and I don't need to know. I just know that a power comes in when my stuff is out of the way um, and does for me what I can't do for myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Reva P. Next up, Rowan M., followed by Amy G. Hey, Rowan. Good, good morning. Thank you so much for your service. This is Rowan M. in New York, New York. <clears throat> I'm definitely a jaywalker. I even actually jaywalk in real life, believe it or not. So this is me. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. I actually do get a thrill out of that in every sense of the word, in every area of my life. I'm a thrill seeker. I like roller coasters. 
I like driving fast. I've gotten many speeding tickets in my life. I am a thrill seeker. I, this is me and it gets me in trouble. I, my grandfather, when I was growing up, he used to call me monkey business because I'd always get myself in trouble in school. I would get detention all the time. My teachers didn't know what to do with me because I was this bizarre dichotomy of a straight-A student, but yet I was talking back to the teachers and getting in fights with children and getting detention all the time. And, you know, it was just, I was crazy. I was a tornado. And with this, with the food, I would keep going back to the foods that drove me into this illness, even though I knew in my heart that it would drive me back to binging every single time. And my disease would convince me that I could handle it this time. And I would get a thrill out of playing with fire I love playing with fire. I love the bad boys. I love motorcycles. I am the jaywalker. And it just makes me sad that my disease can just take over me so quickly and bring me into this downward spiral in such a way that is so intense and I just don't even know sometimes how to get out of it even at this point in my recovery and it's so intense and it says you know he he breaks the car breaks his arm he breaks both of his legs he breaks his back you know, he's he's really losing all he's really destroying every part of his body that's me. I've destroyed so much of my body. I've had three surgeries as a result of this illness. And am I mangled enough? Am I done yet? God, I hope so. This is me hit by cars again and again, hit by fire trucks, hit by buses, mangled by this illness time i hear anyway thanks for letting me share with that i'll pass thank you so much Roanne. next up is amy g followed by pamela r good morning amy good morning my name is amy g i'm recovered grateful recovered compulsive overeater from maryland oh the jaywalker gosh my favorite story in the entire big book i mean what is this story this is a story of the progression of this disease, and it's certainly the progression of this disease as it was in my life for sure. You know, absurd and incomprehensible. I mean, I'm a bulimic, I'm a recovered bulimic. How how absurd and incomprehensible is it to stick my finger down my throat? And, you know, for a while I got a thrill out of that thinking, hey, you know, I can go ahead and eat what I want and then I can puke and not suffer the consequences. You know, but of course everything progressed. That's what this disease guarantees us, a slow death emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And this disease continued to reveal 
my powerlessness to me and beat me to a pulp. I mean, what did we just read on page 34? There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of our alcoholism and compulsive overeating as we know it. The utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And I got to my point after my first couple of hits by a car, so to speak, as the daywalker, where I started to want to stop and then found that I could not and that I was powerless. And I didn't understand the nature of the mental obsession, but what is constantly being revealed in this chapter over and over and over again is the mental obsession, the greater aspect of this disease, that my mind and my thinking is a liability because it always leads me back to the food without the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, i.e. working these steps. Again, I know I say this all the time, but in step one in the AA 12 and 12, it says we have warped our minds with such an obsession for destructive drinking and eating that only an act of providence can relieve us of that. And that's what I came to. Every time I walked out of the treatment center or, again, my dying and frothy emotional feel that I would never eat again, and then somehow, way, I would find myself in front of the car again, sticking the binge foods into my mouth because I was powerless over my thinking. I was powerless over the mental obsession. And this is being pounded home again and again. We just read about the whiskey and the milk, and now we're reading about the jaywalker. It seems absurd and incomprehensible that I could have other control in my life. But in this area, I had none. And I had to finally concede to my innermost self that I was going to die of this disease, suicide on the layaway plan, unless I truly surrendered to what this program offered and in whom the problem had been solved and to follow the instructions of the 12 steps as they are detailed in this book. It is a lifesaver. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Amy G. Next up, we have Pamela R., then Leah M. Good morning, everybody. Um, Thank you so much for your service this morning and some amazing shares. Um, I am Pamela R., instead of Pamela, it's Pamela R., B as in boy. Um, I'm from Detroit. I'm so grateful to be on this line this morning. You know, all I could think about during the shares was, oh, my God. You know, I'm so grateful that this program, uh, this book, this this amazing book, repeats the insanity over and over again. <laughs> because one of the things I know for me is I have a short-term memory. And as quick as I get it, just like the jaywalker, I forget it, you know. Now, why did I do that again? I don't know. But I'm back out there again, you know. So I am... Uh, amazed that throughout this book, how many times I'm given the opportunity to see myself, to see how insane I've been over the years when it comes to food. This has just been a, a remarkable um, journey for me. You know, I've been in program for a little over um, 12 years now and uh, coming up on six months of uh, abstinence. And I tell you, it has been an amazing journey and I do believe what I've been told. You know, I've got to work this program like my house is on fire. I can't have a moment because if I give it a moment, it wants an hour, it wants a minute, and then it will kick the door in and come and take everything that I've gained. And I'll let it take it, you know, because I'll forget how bad it was. So, you know, the Jay Walker story, again, reminds me of the Bill story, you know, 
Did I think like that Jay Walker did? Yep, I did. Did I do what that Jay Walker did? Yep, I did. It may not be that, you know, I ran in front of a streetcar, but I ate enough food where I lost things. I lost material things that were important, you know, to living a, a, a decent life because of my eating. And today I'm so grateful that that I have recovered everything that I've lost and some. That's what this program offers and gives gives us when we accept exactly what's written in this book. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Pamela B. Got that right. Sorry about that. All right, Leah M., you're up. Thank you very much for your service. Let me just get my timer here. Oh, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. I mean, the big book is using the absurd uh, here to highlight the absurd, you know, the story of my life. Um, you know, why would I put myself through such pain, suffering, and torture, um, you know, as this disease uh totally eroded and destroyed every facet of my life. You know, the madness was so severe, my soul was basically getting sucked out of me. Um, This isn't about stopping. I had stopped thousands of times from compulsive overeating. How do I not start again? I had to find a way to get comfortable sober, get comfortable without the jaywalking, Um, because I was self-destructing by my own hand under the guise of comfort. What was wrong with my mind when time and time again uh, I'd be, you know, uh, (laughs) you know, you know, destroyed uh, mentally and physically, you know, in another hospital for more anorexic and bulimic tendencies, Um, you know, in not being able to hold my responsibilities as a result of this behavior. Why wasn't I learning from the consequences of my behavior? Again, I had stopped thousands of times. Why couldn't I stay stopped? It was like I was forgetting to remember the pain that I had yesterday. Um, And I was continuing to repeat this behavior, expecting different results, not learning from my experience. It was as if I wasn't connecting the dots. It started out with the same progression from not wanting to start, you know, stop jaywalking um, or compulsively overeating because it was actually too much fun in my young years to not being able to stop due to that peculiar mental twist, that obsession of the mind. It was as if, you know, the chains of compulsive overeating in my life were too soft to be felt until they, until they were much too hard to be broken. You know, and this disease just had to continue to progress and progress, and the, and the torture and the pain and the suffering had to continue to intensify until I just, you know, raised my hand and said, I'm done. You know, I admit defeat. I admit powerlessness because as long as I kept thinking that I had the power to stop this illness, then I was blocking off anything else that could help me. Because if I don't admit who and what I am, that I'm a jaywalker when it comes to cellophane bags and bakery boxes, then I don't need a power greater than myself because I have me. 
as the power greater than myself. And I have me as a power greater myself, then I certainly don't have to make a decision in step three, and I certainly don't have to implement steps four through seven, make amends in eight and nine, and continue to live in 10 and 11 and 12. So, you know, it all starts with, am I this jaywalker? And for me, I raise my hand. I'm one. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah. We have time for another share. Who would like to share? Ruth Lauren N. K. I got Lauren N. Go ahead. Lauren, are you there? Good morning, all visionaries. This is Lauren N. And oh my God, am I a jaywalker? I cannot stop jaywalking without the admission that I am powerless over jaywalking, and I am totally powerless over jaywalking. All I want to do is jaywalk. I have to turn to God and ask God for help every day, all the time. I have to remember that I am powerless over everything in my life when it comes to jaywalking. Because all I want to do is jut out in the front of cars in the way to, make, to ease and comfort the inside of my body, the inside of my head. I forget what jaywalking does to me because all I want to do is jaywalk. Well, obviously it's not jaywalk. It's in bakery boxes and cellophane bags and with nuts and with all kinds of quote-unquote goodies. I'm totally powerless over all of them. In my head, all my head wants to do is make me go back to them because I can never remember what it does to me. I can only remember what it does for me. What it does for me is silence that little noise in my head. But it silences it only for a second or two. And it's only through constantly lifting those weights and constantly practicing this program that I can remember what it does to me. Thank you all for being here one day at a time. Thank you all, thank you all, thank you all for reminding me every morning what it does to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Lauren. <clears throat> With that, it looks like we are out of time. So we will close. Let's see. Thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for this meeting today, Thursday, March 15th, is 11164. 11164. <clears throat> We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer, 
school, Barbara E., please read our vision for you. A vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you so much. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. That that was not me. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 